Hello, and welcome to some Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Walk Hard. Before we do that, Buddy, why don't you the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, on this podcast, we like to talk about games, uh, but then also sometimes we talk about, like, movies that are, like, tangentially related to nerd stuff. And then we were talking about talking about one of those movies today, but then we were like, oh my god, you know what's on Netflix? Walk Hard, a do- the Dewey Cox story. And Mango was like, oh my god, that movie's so funny. I was like, yeah, me too, we should do that for the podcast. <laughs> so that's so that, that, that that's how we're here, I guess. Uh <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, and I have long been a fan. Like, this is a movie that, like, stuck with me. I think I saw it in high school because that's when it came. I saw it in theaters. Yep. Um, so it came of- out in 2007, directed by Jake Kasdan, uh, written by Judd Apatow and Jake Kasdan. Uh, famously flopped at the box office, right? It had, a you know, like, a pretty normal comedy budget, but, like, made, like, half its box office back. Nobody saw it. I remember seeing it. I saw it in theaters, but I think we were – it was, like, me and a couple of my friends – uh, I remember then we bought the DVD later, and then we also watched it on DVD a whole bunch because it was so funny. So I think that Walk Hard might be the first movie soundtrack that I got on CD. Oh my uh, god! Wow. Yeah. I so, mean, the music slaps like absolutely. Yeah. No, like it is incredible. Like you know, some of the songs are just there for the comedy, right? Like Let's Do It does is 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 fun to listen to, but it's like mostly about the double entendre. But like Walk Hard and like um. Uh, a beautiful ride are songs that like I still like you know like just play in my head sometimes, um, and funnily enough like uh, I like I didn't like that that was like the be- like the song Star this the cover of Starman I just adore um, which you know is like a like it took me a little while to realize it was a cover of you know Bowie because I, I wasn't a big Bowie listener but you know it's like it's, I just I don't know. The music is great for what is what is what is a a big joke movie, but maybe we're a little bit ahead of ourselves. Um, uh, I mean, we both love this movie. That's why we decided to do it. I guess we'll spoiler warning for uh, <laughs> Walk Hard: The Dewey Cox Story, uh, a thirteen-year-old movie that nobody saw, but also you actually. I feel like it has a good reputation now, though. Like a lot of people I know have seen the movie, love the movie. Um, I I, th- I think part of it is because. Um, Okay, so, and this is part of what I think is interesting about, like, talking about it. Why I'm like, oh, yeah, I can dedicate, like, an hour of my life to talking about this movie. It sort of predates the humor that I think would come to dominate sort of comedy in the 2010s, in a way. Uh, I also think Austin Powers does this. But that sort of, like, very referential humor. Like, the whole movie is built off of you understanding the structure and tropes. tropes. And cliches that happen, not just in, like, like biopics, but in specifically biopics about musicians. Like, and it, and it assumes and, like, presumes that you have that familiarity such that, like, almost the entire movie is based off of it. And I don't know that if you haven't seen Walk the Line or you haven't seen Ray or you haven't seen, you know, like, whatever else you wouldn't be able to Rocket Man right? counts for this, right? Like, Yeah, Rocket Man counts for this. And, and, and it's funny because I love Rocket Man, right? I've talked about it on the cast. Like, I watched Rocket Man back to back on a plane when I was actually coming back from visiting you on a plane because I just thought it was so – I was it was, like, so compelling. But absolutely, like, this movie is such a hard and, like, brutal send-up of, like, those music biopic cliches. And they're still – you know, they're the still same cliches that, that we're getting. And we're getting them in movies like Rocket Man, like, you know, straight yeah. out of Compton, like – 
uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, right? Like, and I will say that, like, I think a lot of the humor kind of also pulls outside of that, right? Like, because there's like a like part of part of I think what makes these biopics so cheesy is that they follow a lot of kind of traditional structure, which also gets yeah. parodied, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, like the uh, like the 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 kind of inciting uh, uh, event being. Uh, you know, like the the tragedy, right? Like just like th- th- from moment one, right? Like it's a sure, sure is a a great day, and nothing terrible is gonna happen. Uh, you know, like the, just it, it's it's it is such like a perfect. I, I, I am I am like part. So I, I think you're right, right? Like it kind of does predate, but but um predict kind of the humor that would that would dominate, I guess the the 2010s in some ways. Um, it's also like the launch. I feel like stuff like Rick and Morty, Community, Parks and Rec, all this stuff can get kind of kind of be like traced back in a way to this through line of like very self-referential kind of like parody, satire. What's the line between them? Who knows? Kind of movies. Yeah. Or not movies, but just humor in general. And and um, it's also kind of like it's it's also got like a lot of people that I guess don't really come into their own. Like this is the this is John C. Riley's first movie. Um, this is, you know, this has cameos by Jack Black and Paul Rudd um, and Justin Long um, and then Tim Meadows and Chris Parnell, who like really comes into his own with Archer and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, uh, and uh, Tim, Tim Meadows, which was really funny because Tim Meadows was also in Hubie Halloween, um, which was like just like a, a stupid cameo that or Tim, no- Tim Meadows might be my favorite person in the in like the whole show. He just has these amazing deliveries uh but i want to just walk back for a second did you say that this was giant c riley's first movie i think I, i'm pretty sure that that's true right because i remember when i watched it I was like is that like it like first <laughs> like, is that will ferrell right like because and then <laughs> and then they made stepbrothers right because that was like the obvious comparison that everybody made right like, John C. Riley, it's like a really he was in he was in boogie nights in 1997 you know oscar award-winning movie uh, he's in gangs of new york he's in the aviator he's in the thin red line he's in what's eating gilbert grape from 1993 do you not do you not no. well this, this maybe he's in magnolia is... like these, these aren't like small performances right like these are like big deal movies it's his first <laughs> comedy maybe is, is that was like I, I read something about about this so. yeah no okay so i do think that it is part of a, a, like a comedic reinvention it is a year after uh, Talladega Nights, which was 2006, and then okay. Step Brothers, which kind of is like, you know, I, I think of that that John C. Riley Will Ferrell pairing, right, as a very kind of iconic thing. Obviously, the movies that I was talking about earlier were not; th- these are like serious dramas or whatever. Right. Um, but just <laughs> no, you're, you're... It's an Academy Award nominating <laughs> actor. <laughs> So I didn't know. I mean, maybe this is just oh, like because funny. this was when we were in high school, right? So I guess yeah. I, I wasn't this. I wasn't dialed into it before uh, for Walk Hard, which is two thousand seven, right? So this is before Talladega Nights, right? And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, no, John C. Riley is actually like a very, very well respected actor. Even though, like, I feel like he is probably most well known for that string of sort of like Will Ferrell pairings. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, that that's funny. Anyway, um, I don't even remember what we were talking about. Just like I, I feel like that that humor is one hundred percent there because like so many of the jokes presuppose that you understand the the way these movies work and are therefore funny because of that presupposition, which I think is actually a tough thing, right? Like so, for instance, 
one of the first jokes is that the 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 brother says he's going to live forever and then it immediately cuts to them going and doing a bunch of dangerous shit and the only reason those jokes work is because you the viewer understand that we're about to watch the like formative childhood tragedy that makes a great artist because we watched it in ray where like ray's brother drowns or something i don't remember um right. we like watched it in like all of these other and so it's like if you don't have the context, the movie co- would make no no sense. At all. So I, I think that's being a little uncharitable because, like, that's also just like like even outside of music biopics, right? Like, this is how movies work, right? Like, like that's like a trope that goes beyond the music biopic. Which oh yeah, definitely for sure. So I, I think it works in that way. And something I wanted to highlight is I think one way that it's maybe a little bit different than. Uh, some of the stuff that, that came later and something that, that kind of felt refreshing to me as I was watching it is it's not nearly as irony poisoned as some of the later stuff is, right? Like mm-hmm. like Rick and Morty is is kind of irony poisoned in a way. I think Community is too. And not that I don't love those shows, right? But like um, this is like a very kind of like Lonely Island-esque because that's the other big comparison that pops into my head. Um, kind of like, you know, over the top and self-retural but very kind of earnest about it right it's almost south parkian in a way i guess is the way i'd put it right like it's not like you know dour and sardonic so much as it is over the top and ridiculous which i think does set it apart from a lot of things that have been like a lot of a lot more of the more recent i so i do agree with this and it's something that i think is key to the to it working like for instance the music i think is really good Right. And, you you know, we've obviously like established we've obviously established that. But like, I do think that there's a version of this movie that gets made where there isn't a real care or attention paid to the actual tracks themselves. Right. Um, And it's like and that and that could be part of the joke. Like maybe Dewey Cox is just a horrible singer and he like assaults your eardrums or whatever. But like everybody in universe thinks that it sounds amazing. But you, the viewer, know that it sounds terrible and that's the joke or whatever. But I think that that would push it into sort of like satire territory. Right. When like actually, you know, insofar as. Dewey Cox is is a talented musician musician diegetically. The music that we hear out of him, like that the music is good. Guilty is charged. What a fucking bop, dude. Like, you know, yeah. like I uh and and I think that that kind of um I don't know, it kind of like it pulls it away from being like harsh or harsher than it than it should otherwise be. Also, there are some lines of jokes that I think are pretty funny um, at the expense of the music, or I'm sorry, at the expense of the movie genre itself, but that are ultimately kind of like restorative, right? Um, so, like for instance, the dr- the the line of drugs, uh, the the whole one with weed. Like, it's not habit-forming that, like, Tim Meadows does. I think that is actually sort of a restorative joke that is sort of making fun of, implicitly, how we understand weed to be, like, a really, like, hardcore drug. Or we did back then, right? Like, we understood weed to be this, like, really, like, hardcore drug that belongs next to cocaine and heroin when it's, like... It's not, you know? Yeah. It's like... Well, this is also coming off of kind of like the dare era, I would say, right? Like, where, like, you know, weed's a gateway drug because you can't point to anything that's actually super terrible about it, right? Um, which, weirdly, the movie, I guess, kind of endorses with the that whole through line, I guess. Well, that's that's That, that is true, about. because the line of jokes does require weed as a, you know... Like, the part where it's like, we're doing uppers and downers, and it's the next logical step for you, like... 
Yeah, literally paints weed as a gateway drug. Actually, yeah, I guess that's I, I guess that's true. No, so so I so I just want to say that the, the one line that has really stuck with me from this movie through the years is, and not once did you pay for drugs, right? Like, not once. I don't know why, but like even years later, I get still it still like pops into my head. Um, but uh, um, something something that kind of like I think went along with like the, these. The, the kind of styling of the movie that I think worked, like you said, like the music is, the music's good, um, but it's also like the the lyrics are are where you kind of get like those send up y moments, and I think that combined with the fact that like you know obviously it's following this fictional artist through the through the years, but by changing up the years, you kind of get away from um, it being too one note, right? Like mm. if it had just been like you know. Um, uh, and it, like a one decade's worth of stuff, I think I feel like the jokes would have gotten um, old really fast. Especially since like uh, uh, like there there are moments that I think while, while they have like their their like moments in these films, some of them were clearly like like the the whole kind of opening bit uh, with him in high school seems more like it's it's uh, it's a parody of Footloose or something like that, right? Than of necessarily these these biopics, right? Like the whole you know, like this is the devil's music type of stuff. I think mm-hmm. by mixing in those elements, it keeps it it keeps it fresh rather than just kind of like stale one note, you know, the, one jokes. That, that, yeah, no. So this is funny. I had a similar thought in two thousand seven because I remember I made the case, and I think I was wrong, by the way. I made the case that this movie was a bigger parody of Forrest Gump than it was of like music biopics at the time this was i think this is incorrect but there is like a gem of truth in there right because like you have that sort of like you're going through history and like dewey's interacting with like elvis and the beatles and you know just like all of that kind of stuff uh does feel sort of very like you know forced gumpy in a way i don't know forced gump is a very weird movie but like it is sort of that like like so much of the the stuff that made me laugh then was like the whole Beatles scene, just the whole Beatles scene begin beginning to end made me like die. Um, we we the part where Paul Rudd as John Lennon looks into the camera and says, "Imagine in that weird way," because he's putting on that like insanely bad but just very funny accent. We I remember we watched that scene like ten times just because we thought that moment was the greatest thing. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was. It's it's just so, it just kind of like, it it, it just nails it. I, I guess that's the the only way I can put it. And like, I think something to, to note about that too, right? Like, is that it works on a couple of different levels because it's not just you know the Beatles. It's also the thing where you get cameos of famous people to play other artists in musical biopics to to kind of like drive that home, right? Like, yeah, um, like you know you recognize the face even though it's not the person. But you know, it, it, you know, it it I, it's just kind of brilliant, right? Like you get Jack Black to play basically what would be kind of like he could play that role seriously potentially in another movie about a real artist that was meeting the Beatles in India. He would just play it straight instead of playing it for jokes, if that makes sense. Um, which you know, like it, it, it is amazing to me just how like perfectly calibrated every moment of this film is to, to kind of hit those notes, including the post credit scene with the quote-unquote real Dewey Cox, right? Which is just John C. Riley in slightly different makeup, um, 
which it, it, it's it, it's mind-boggling how like how perfect they, they they got every single moment of this film at least at least to me um, i'm sorry are you telling me that for the last 13 years there has been a post-credit scene to this movie and i didn't fucking know about it <laughs> what are you is that real yeah 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 no i like it's it's uh and I hadn't seen it in a while, but like if like if you listen through the credits, it is a a short scene, and is literally you know it, it's it's you know how like in like a music biopic like this they'll have like the real artist on the back part of the like like the post credit scene they'll be like this is you know this is like a recording from the real real artist it's 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 that but it's just John C Reilly in slightly different makeup and singing slightly differently. To, oh my absolute fuck! I cannot believe that that's a real thing that I have not known my entire life. Yeah, and you know it's not it, it is it's not super crazy, right? But like it's just like the concept that it's there is just you know perfect, like like point perfect, uh, like all of it. Like like I was marveling at how like when he when he gets the band back together for the for the final performance, right? Like uh-huh. that is like that's like the like the 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 set of kind of perfect lineups, right? The guy that's angry. Um, and the guy that's like just happy that the band's back together, um, and then uh, I guess Tim Meadows isn't isn't doesn't fit perfectly into this, but like you know, it's it's if 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 it just it just feels like it's just like the it just feels perfect. Uh, I don't know. I'm probably gushing too much over this movie, but I I think it it just hits all those notes in like like it just hits all those notes really well. Um, and I'm I was very impressed by it. Wow. Okay. I cannot believe. I didn't know about that scene and I want to die a little bit because I feel like such a fucking idiot for not knowing it. Um, why do you think that this movie didn't do, didn't do like better at the time? You know, like, um, because it's, I think it's kind of hit or miss whether or not it's going to be like, you can't tell from the outside, right? Like if it's going to be good or not, right? Like it seems kind of cheesy. Um, and it is, but like, yeah, like in the same way that like you 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 highlighted it right like you know it it really relies on kind of knowing a lot of these tropes even though I think it, it's I think it lands pretty well regardless right like I don't think you like the music like knowing like I think you could watch this movie after watching a trailer for Walk the Line and like get ninety percent of the humor um, as long as you've like watched a couple other other movies of any description. But I think the pre- the presupposition that it's direct send up of something like Walk the Line, like maybe Walk Hard brought it too close to the title of Walk the Line that people thought you needed to have watched Walk the Line in order to really get this movie. Um, that would be my guess. Um, also, uh, yeah, I, I guess I guess that'd be my best prediction. Do you, do you have any thoughts? Uh, you know, I think in general, when it comes to movies like this. Um, they need to simmer in a world in a, in a way like before an audience will really accept sort of the next logical step in comedy. And I'm trying to think about like where that happened when it came to right like movies and like TV because it definitely happened not too long after sort of like Walk Hard. But when I do think of like the you know like the landscape at the time, it's kind of like um actually okay to back up for a second, it's kind of like how when Iron Man one came out. It represented a shift, and it was shifting into that Marvel sort of, like, paradigm, right? 
And we can look back on that and we can say like, oh yeah, that, that shift happened. But in 2008, the movie everyone was focused on was The Dark Knight, right? And we, even over the next couple of years, we're all thinking in comic book movie terms about The Dark Knight. And even though The Dark Knight was kind of the peak and it would slowly sort of, you know, uh, uh, fall from there... Um, and the Marvel movies would sort of gain, would sort of gain more traction over time. Um, it, I feel like it's the, the same sort of thing. Like the peak in two thousand and six was probably like Borat, right? And like that humor and like the the Dewey Cox stuff was sort of just rising at the time when then when that was its own sort of thing. Um, and honestly, maybe even Anchorman could technically be this since it came out the next year. Um, and had a sort of, I wouldn't quite say similar, uh, I don't know, basis for it, but like, it is a pretty, like, like these are both kind of, uh, in the, in the same vein compared to some of the other sort of, sort of, sort of comedies, specifically Borat. I don't think, I don't think that the walk hard looks like Borat very much at all. Um, and so, I don't know, that's that's kind of my thinking, that, like, it is sort of an on-ramp into the comedy that we would later see, but, like, we weren't quite ready for at the time. Huh. So, hmm. that's interesting, but, like, it, would you say this movie qualifies as a cult hit? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I would. So, I, I would place that, like, that this movie and, like, um, and a movie we've all, we've we've talked about briefly before, um, Hot Rod, in that same kind of category. Because I don't think Hot Rod did very well at the box office either, right? And I yeah. wonder if there's a through line there that we're missing, maybe. Because um, like I wonder if there like because I think there's there's similar stuff that you're identifying um, in both of uh, in both of them, but uh, I don't know if I can. Really, if, if 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 I can figure out what exactly is is the separation there, if that makes sense, like like what, like what makes those movies cult movies and like something like Anchorman is a real success? Maybe it's just like that. Will Ferrell had enough goodwill at that point to really draw an audience. Um, I also wonder, like, like Anchorman had some like crude humor in it, but like Walk Hard has straight up nudity in it, and I wonder if maybe that's like kind of the sep- like you know. It's not serious enough to be like. A, oh my it, god! Wait, I'm lying. Actually, Anchorman came out in 2004. I thought it came out in 2008. Wow. Okay. Actually, oh, I'm thinking Step Brothers because Step Brothers came out in 2008. Fuck. Yeah. Wow. Now I feel like an idiot, you guys. Yeah. Well, you you didn't make the same mistake I did, so you know you're still up on me. <laughs> uh, um. But uh. I I wonder if. Like like I was saying, I wonder if if what the what the reason is that like Anchorman takes off, but this movie doesn't. That Hot Rod doesn't, because Hot Rod doesn't have the nudity thing, right? Like that was part something I was thinking of. Right? Like this is a this is like a a dumb oh, kind an of R rated movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember thinking that that was part of the reason why I enjoyed this movie at the time. It was one of the first rated R movies I could see because it came out like right around when I was turning seventeen, um, and I could get myself into R rated pictures. Yeah, I mean, and it's and you know all all the nudity in the movie is like humorous, right? Like and played for laughs. I wonder if that really hurt it at the box office, right? That like maybe maybe that's like the problem. It's not it's not the nudity, but the nudity is kind of like the this like the, exposes it, right? Like this is a movie for people 
who watch music biopics and then also enjoy like raucous over the top comedy and maybe that overlap just isn't there right like i know if you're the person who's going to go earnestly watch something like walk the line or rocket man right like maybe that audience isn't isn't interested in going to see something that like is literally shitting all over that right like in, in a way um you know i mean i like like we both enjoy like say rocket man and this movie but uh maybe that like maybe we're like uh an exception in that case or maybe that's like an attitude that would be more prevalent now like i don't think i would have watched walk the line in high school um but i did watch this movie um because i like comedies um and frankly, I, I feel like I didn't have all of the cultural touchstones in order to get every single joke in this movie, but I still loved it. Um, and maybe there's just kind of a mismatch there. I, I, I don't know. Oh, uh, see, I remember I definitely watched both Ray and Walk the Line, so that was on my it was on my mind for sure when I was when I was like watching this movie, uh, which I think are the two big touchstones. Like the whole thing with him not being able to smell. Um, is is a is a parody on Ray because Ray goes blind I guess basically uh because of like the childhood trauma it's what the movie seems to suggest uh I actually I really liked Ray at the time but now I think it's pretty bad to be honest um and honestly I, I think it's pretty bad probably because of you know watching watching this movie a whole bunch wait Ray, Ray Charles is blind no, I, I'm just kidding. I knew that. Um, oh, I was, I was, I was like, uh, uh yeah. No, I was. Yeah, the, the worst thing is, I Maybe was about, to, I was about to say, Maybe wait, Stevie Wonder is blind, which is the wrong person. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, maybe that's actually a good transition point because something that I had forgotten about, um, was the I think it's it's one of the earlier musical numbers, which is "Love of the of 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 uh, of the Negro Man." Right. And also like, <laughs> and, uh, and, and kind of along with that, the, the kind of very, very over the top, um, you know, Jewish produ music producer jokes, like those struck me as a thing that like, just, I don't know if it, it, it could happen now. What, what do you, what, so what I think, think the Jewish music producer jokes are probably offensive. Like if I was to guess but i actually think i will go to bat for the love the negro man bit because i think the to be to be honest i feel like it is maybe that's where it's like most biting maybe maybe this is just because i have like the context but like so um if for a long time in like music history it has become about uh taking music from black communities repackaging them with a white face and then selling them to like suburban white audiences right elvis did this with blues eminem did this with hip-hop sort of thing uh and there's like a huge conversation that so sort of surrounds that right um and to be fair it's it is more like it is more structural than it is individual it's not like eminem himself is a bad person obviously eminem you know he grew up grew up in inner city detroit and was and was just like living his life right but the fact that he has a white face meant that music producers could turn around that music and sell it to people like honestly me right 
in the suburbs who would otherwise be threatened by something like, you know, whatever, like NWA kind of thing. And that this movie is kind of honest about how Dewey Cox just steals a black man's music and uses it to get ahead. Like, yeah, I, I mean, don't know. Like, that, that's literally what happens. Yes, yeah, I don't know how much I agree with all of that take, right? Because, like, I, I, you know, I, I don't know about you but like i remember dr dre being very popular right like and i remember eminem being being uh basically banned by by parents for the same reasons that 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 say dr dre was right like i, I don't think that 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 through line follows through one to one but i i'll buy some sure. of that i i it, it's more emblematic than you know like than anything else right but like it is definitely 100% happened across and it's not just those two examples sure, right? sure. like Obviously, boy bands, or maybe not obviously, but this is the other one. It's like boy bands repackage R&B music, right? So, like, boys to men becomes sync in the Backstreet Boys. Becomes K-pop. You know, becomes K- Yeah, yeah, becomes K-pop. Uh, right? Like, NWA becomes Eminem. Blues musicians from Memphis become Elvis, right? Like, And that, and that just is something that has happened in music for a long time. Uh, and there is a real, there's like a real conversation about that that I am not prepared. I don't yeah, yeah. know about. I just know vaguely, right, like that these things exist. Um, and obviously, you know, I'm also not trying. I do legitimately think Eminem is is a, an incredibly talented rapper, right? Obviously, um, but I, but that was my that was the undercurrent. That was like the subtext that I got out of it this time. I was like, oh wow, because there's a point when. Craig Robinson, right, who plays the black guy, is like, wait, no, that's me. It should be my music. And they just brushed him off. And, like, I don't know. I just thought that was funny. Yeah. No, no. Absolutely. It's... It's weird, too, because, like, the, the movie goes to pains to show us that Dewey Cox is, in fact, a talented musician, right? Like, it's not mm-hmm. like... Like... It, he's he's taking Craig Robinson's song, potentially, but, like, it's not... And, you know, it's... It's not like he's. I guess. I guess. I, I feel that. Um. On, on kind of like the the other side of this, which is the, kind of the Jewish jokes. It's it's weird because Jake Kasdan is, is is secularly Jewish, but he is Jewish, right? Like this has got to be like a, a, a self poking fun at thing, right? Like, like yeah. Um, and it is also featuring like Harold Ramis, um, where you just kind of have to. I don't know. Yeah. He he's such a legend in general uh that you would think that like if it was uh if it was a bigger problem i guess they wouldn't be getting somebody who has like this huge pedigree uh but i don't know i do feel like that stuff probably wouldn't happen in in like a modern context yeah no i it 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 just struck me as like how kind of front and center it was i guess is the, is the way to put it like or like how like yeah. unsubtle it was right like it, it it is like this classic kind of like sledgehammer right like the these are these are very clearly jews and they 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 you know openly announcing you know and they control the production you know they control like this this corner of the media at least it's like ah you know that's like a an interest like that that's like it's like i think the jokes like funny by virtue of it being so over the top but like the fact that it's like and, oh man! And then when they're in the recordings, like that recording studio scene, I think maybe goes like pushes like the not not the Jewish thing, but like the the kind of like you know hammering on the uh, hammering on the trope a little too hard, right? Like there's no way you'll be able to redeem yourself uh, for this. And then like you know he turns around in a second, um, 
Uh, but that you know, you know, you've made me lose faith in 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 the in the Jewish faith or something. It's just what they, yeah. It's 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 huh. No, I just it, it just yeah. Huh. Yeah, I mean, my thing with this a lot of the time is that uh, the you know comedy ages uh, pretty quickly, and if we if we you just you just kind of have to like toss it all aside, right? Like you know, I hate I hate the argument of like you couldn't make a Mel Brooks movie today sort of thing, but it is essentially that line of thinking in a way where if we were to be puritanical about this stuff, we just like wouldn't be able to enjoy anything from, you know, right, right, right. Before 2015. I mean, there are, I think there are certain Mel Brooks movies that you couldn't make today. Like blazing saddles would be very hard to make today. Um, although I actually think that Robin Hood men in tights would be harder. Uh, Blazing Saddles is is at least sort of on like the right side of the satire. Uh, Robin Hood Benetites has a lot of gay jokes. Okay, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that that's are fair. like worse. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I, I I had heard somewhere that they were remaking Blazing Saddles, but with like animals, um, which would be a weird thing. I, I heard this somewhere. I, I need to I need to look this up because that would be that, that, that can't be right. Am I? Am I you 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 talk about something while I figure this out. Okay, uh, there are other, like, cool things that come out of this, which is just Jake, Jake, Jake Kasdan himself as a director. Um, specifically that he made Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, which I said was, like, insanely funny. Um, and I, and I talked about a whole bunch. But also, another movie of his that I want to call out a little bit. Have you ever seen the movie Orange County with Jack Black and, uh, Colin Hanks? Like, uh, Tom Hanks' no. son? No, I have not. It was one of the first, like, so I, MTV was obviously huge, and it made a movie. Uh, it made a movie studio, and it was one of the first MTV movies. Uh, movies, but I thought Orange County was like absolutely hilarious. It came out five years before this in two thousand and two. But that that Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, which hit it big, obviously got a sequel, also directed by Kasdan, also written by Kasdan. Um, that movie was another parody movie, and uh, it was sort of the best parody of what I think like a video game sort of movie it doesn't quite look like. There aren't there aren't as many video game movies to like create sort of like a genre, but like using the mechanics of how video games work in order to to uh, parody uh, in order to parody the. Um, the, the ideas, I guess, that sort of, like, underlie it. Uh, and so, I don't know. I don't know. I just wanted to say those things. That's fair. <laughs> I don't really have much of a point besides those two movies are great. Hmm. So, I, I, I have the information. The, fall, the, the remake is going to be called Blazing Samurai. And it's a um, – it's like animated cats. It looks kind of like um, Kung Fu Panda-ish. Uh, okay. Yeah, but it's going to be a remake of Blazing Saddles. Uh, presumably without it's it's a kids movie, so presumably without the uh, without without some of that humor in there. But that, that's neat in that it's kind of like a reverse spaghetti western, right? Like, um, I don't know. But that's that's neither here nor there. Um, what else to talk about about uh, Dewey Cox or Walk Hard the Dewey Cox movie? Um, I do think the the sheer volume of comedians, especially comedians who would like go on to later just like blow up in in and of themselves right like it's funny seeing people like Kristen Wiig in a supporting role right. compared to Jenna Fisher 
who I don't think had the same. Like, Jenna Fisher obviously was in The Office, uh, and this was at, like, the height of The Office's popularity, so it makes sense that she kind of has, like, the headlining female role. But, like, at this point, Kristen Wiig is, like, way more famous, right? And has gone on to do way more, you know, like, way more stuff. Uh, and I think if you were to ask an audience, like, okay, it's this movie, you know, it's uh, it's uh, a parody uh, of, like, music biopics. Who plays the female lead, Jenna Fisher or Kristen Wiig? Most people would get that question wrong. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think you're right. Uh, who, like, like, let's – who else is it? Like I said, Chris Parnell plays, like, a significant supporting role, and he's, like yep. – you know, um, I, I – I, so the, the moment I remember his name from – is from the Lonely Island, uh, the cupcake rap or whatever that was. Um, Wait, the the Natalie Portman rap? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Natalie mm-hmm. Portman, right? Yeah, because he asked the questions in that in that rap song. Um, well, maybe no, there there is a no. It's it's it, is it about cupcakes? It's, there's a song from I think it's from Saturday Night Live where they go get cupcakes from Magnolia Bakery, and they refer to Chris Parnell by name. Right, they're like, "Yo, what up, Parnes? How's it going?" or something like that. What, what am I thinking? Mm-hmm. Um, that is that the Natalie. Uh, now I'm gonna now, now you're gonna drive me crazy again. Um, Lonely Island cupcakes. I do not know the answer to that, but I also know that there are like a bunch of other people in here. Like Margot Martindale is Ma Cox. Um, Margot Martindale of BoJack Horseman fame, who. Margot Martindale as Margot Martindale as a character actress, right, is like this supporting character that runs all the way through BoJack Horseman. Uh, and so now every time she shows up in things, I'm just like, oh, my God, it's Margot Martindale. <laughs> she's she's in this movie. Um, but just like other stuff, too, right? Like, you know, even like um, uh, the, the – so there's Harold Ramis, who's like the main – Jewish producer, but one of the alternate Jewish producers is Martin Starr, who would later like be oh. a cast member on Silicon Valley. Um, right, and then the uh, I think the son is the the Jewish guy from The Big Bang Theory, which you know obviously yeah, yeah. maybe less less uh, uh, prestigious, but but still. So the, the song I was thinking of was um, was Lazy Sunday, um, uh, but yeah, no, absolutely. There's there's that. There's like, a, and then uh, uh, the uh, and the old Nate, right? Old Ghost Nate is is Jonah Hill. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And the funny part about that is that I also think that that's from before Jonah Hill like blew up, right? I think so. Um, I think Jonah you're Hill right. blew up with Superbad. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And this was like before he. I, th- I think this might have been before, right around. It's around the same uh, time, I think. Uh. Okay, it was the same year. Superbad is two thousand seven, uh, and it's funny because, like, you know, first of all, Jonah Hill is an Academy Award-winning actor at this point, um, and he has played like, obviously, he's played his comedy roles in like twenty one, twenty two, Jump Street great movies by the way um and, and and stuff like that but he's also done you know like Moneyball and the wolf of wall street um including uh directing you know he made his directorial debut debut last year with mid 90s or whatever it was like the that year of all of the comedians doing like director d- directing their first features um the funny part about have you ever heard like the story of jonah hill getting like picked up by like how he how he became an actor? No. 
He went to school with he like he's from LA and he went to school with a lot of people who like knew a lot of like actors or whatever and he used to prank call like famous people who were like his friends' parents or like his friends' uncles and something uh, and he got cast because he kept prank calling Dustin Hoffman apparently I don't know if this is true by the way but this is like an apocryphal story uh, that. That, that like has been has been relayed to me that he would prank call people um and oh i actually i'm on his wikipedia that's exactly what it is <laughs> hill was befriended by dustin hoffman's children rebecca and jake who introduced hill to their father the elder hoffman asked him to audition for a role in i heart huckabees in which Hill made his film debut so yep that's a thing <laughs> i guess and it's funny to see like like the um the other kind of stuff too other side of this which is like the people who were clearly there as, um, as like you know, kind of like uh, what's the word, like cameos. There, uh, uh, like you know, you, you talk, we talk about like um, how Kristen Wiig is there as like a supporting role, and this is like before she breaks out. But like mm-hmm. Buddy Holly is Frankie Muniz, which is like before he goes into hiding, right? Like because he's he's coming off of what Malcolm in the Middle and uh, uh, yep. probably like Big Agent Fat Liar, Cody Banks, all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. And it, you know, um, yeah. So and. and uh, uh, and, and Helms is the, is the backstage manager at that point as well, which is like like you were saying, along with the, the this is like the height of the office. Um, oh, apparently Elvis Presley was played by Jack White, which is kind of uh, it, that's like super interesting, right? I wonder I wonder if Jack White and Jack Black have ever been in a, <laughs> in a film together before or after. <laughs> Jack Gray. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I just was 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 incredibly. Uh, uh, just like the kind of like everybody that appears in this, um, and like we're including like the actual music artists, they get to like play themselves, right? Like Ghostface Killer is in this movie, right? During during the 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 tribute. Um, also, um, I do have to give a shout out to what is probably my favorite joke in the like the my favorite very stupid joke in the movie, which is the appearance of the Temptations uh, in front of doing like it's such a, like a stupid stupid joke, but like. I just it just like hit me the right way, um, you know. Like I can't. I, it, I don't know. That, that that joke just just does it for me. Even even though it is incredibly stupid. I don't know. Do you have a favorite joke from the movie? Ah, oh, boy, I don't know that I have a favorite. I have so many. Like they come up and I just die laughing because they're so good. Um, I love the you're never gonna make it. You're, you're like you're never gonna make it, Dewey. His first wife. All of those jokes, even after he has clearly made it. made it. They're like, they're, they're signing off from the phone. She's like, I love you. He's like, oh, I love you too. You're never going to make it. Like, <laughs> um, I appreciate that he keeps getting kids. Like, every time she shows up, he there are more kids in the house. There's, like, three kids in, like, the thing. And she has one in each hand. And there's, like, a nurse with another one on the side. Uh, I really love uh, Tim Meadows in more or less every scene that he's in because i think his line delivery is so great even the very first line right like dewey cox needs to think about his entire life before he goes on which itself is uh, is sending up the fact that all of these movies start at the minute before the big climactic performance and then go back in time i think the the whole Beatles scene is great including the line especially the line i'm just gonna sit here with my guitar quietly whimpers which i (laughs) died laughing the very first time that i saw that uh played by justin long of all people great i I guess he's a great uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> George Harrison. I, okay, now that I'm thinking about it, it's the Beatles scene. Because there are so many crazy good jokes, right? Like, you're lucky we still let you play drums. <laughs> I'm talking to Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> the way the way John has the new mantra and he says, Oh, Paul's a big fat uh sexist slur, I guess that, that's a little that's not that's not the greatest, but you know, I died laughing there too. Um I don't know, man. God, this movie is so good. Have you watched any of uh, New Girl? This is the, this is the last piece no. that I want to that I want to talk about because Jake Hasdem famously also is uh, I think he's like an executive producer. He cre he didn't create it. I think Elizabeth Merriweather created New Girl, but he, like, helped create it. Um, but I find that it is typically, like, a, the redheaded stepchild, even though it was insanely successful of, like, this era of, uh, of like, sitcoms. I have not. That's a Zoe Deschanel thing, right? Yeah. It's the one where Jake Johnson comes from. You know, like, the guy who played Spider-Man in Spider-Verse, like, Peter Parker, rather, in Spider-Verse. Uh, like, it, his big break was that. Is, was this that where, is this where the term Manic Pixie Dream Girl comes from? Because that's, like, what I associate that show with. Is it so additional uh, as a Manic, Manic Pixie Dream Girl? The Manic, the Manic Pixie Dream Girl is a trope that's actually from way before this. Um, it is... Zoe Deschanel actually counts for this. But specifically because um, the movie 500 Days of Summer is sort of a send-up of... Or sort of a satire, almost, of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Which was in, I think, Elizabethtown... Garden State for sure. Zach Braff and Natalie Portman is the Mini Pixie Dream Girl. And then there's um there's another one that's like famous. There's a bunch of these that are like movies where sad loner boys are like fixed by Manic Pixie Dream Girls. And then Five Hundred Days of Summer is an example where the guy in that movie, Jake or not Jake Gyllenhaal, um, it's it's Joseph a... Gordon Levitt. Okay, uh, thinks he understands that like manic pixie dream girls are sort of like implicitly a thing and he meets zoe deschanel but he sort of treats her as his manic pixie dream girl which leads to their relationship sort of blowing up um and she is some she's summer in that movie uh but yeah new girl is a little bit like that in the sense that that is who zoe deschanel is sort of playing um but it belongs, in my opinion, in the exact same pantheon as, like, the Parks and Recs, the, the offices, the communities, sort of, of that era of television. Um, and I've been rewatching it recently, which is, part of, which is part of why I wanted to bring it up here. Because, like, you can sort of see that stuff coming from, you know, like, the, like the Jake Kasdan side of things. Okay. No, that, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot to contribute there since I haven't seen... A lot of yeah, it. see, nobody has. This is this is what bothers me. I think it is just as great, if not, yeah, I don't think it's better than like you know something like Parks and Rec or whatever. Um, I and, thinking, and I feel like go on. Sorry, I didn't wait. interrupt you. Well, and and so and I feel like it belongs. It it be, it belongs in that pantheon. But I don't think I think people easily will say, oh yeah, Community belongs there. Definitely, The Office belongs there. Definitely, like Parks and Rec belongs there. Uh, but though, even though you know, like New Girl was like huge had seven seasons very successful right uh it's i don't know it's just like not it's not up there where i would argue it deserves to be i i mean i i thought it was up there i mean it, it, it's one of those shows that kind okay, of okay like, really like maybe i'm just being insecure about it <laughs> yeah i mean i'm also no i'm i am not you know very well dialed into kind of like the the 20 the 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 aughts television kind of scene i guess but 
uh, it, it always kind of like sat in kind of like that like show that like everybody watches type of thing at least it, to mm-hmm. my mind but you know maybe yeah i mean i, I think also that. part of it is that it's it's based in los angeles and so in sort of the way that like friends is based in new york and is like a new york show and not like hardcore new york right like i would i would say that new girl is sort of lightly an la show um but like that that that's a piece of it right like they will have certain bits in that show that i'm just like how does anybody except a los angeles person understand like these these jokes um like like people having um there's there's an episode where they find out that they have a parking spot in like the garage of their apartment building and the four of them because they're all roommates right the four of them are all competing for that parking spot um because they all have like really shitty terrible street parking that they hate and like that whole episode i'm just like this is entirely predicated on la humor no one else would get this because i think most other cities people would just fucking not have cars you know what i mean new york if it's four people in a loft in new york none of them have cars you just take the fucking subway that that was a joke in seinfeld though right like it may may not like was it it really it's not exactly the the parking garage thing i mean there's a whole episode Mm. that takes place in the car parking garage but like there's a joke where they're in the hospital visiting someone and george is very proud of the great parking spot he got and he like spends the entire time in the hospital room talking about his parking spot where like whereas they're visiting a very sick person in the hospital right like that's the the, you know that's the joke is that george cares more about his parking spot than the fucking person they're visiting um uh, but you know, I, I don't think that's like super form. But I, but I, I, uh, I, I get your point, right? That I, I think you're right. That like, I, so I think maybe this is kind of like a, a turn of the, maybe it's like a turn of the century thing, right? Because like, mm-hmm. um, I think you're right that if you're four people living in a loft in New York, you don't have a car. But if you're someone, if you're like, you know, a middle aged person who's watching the show from the New Jersey or the New York suburbs, you do have a car, right? Um, and also, I think before, say, like, the 10s, right? Like, like the car's a status symbol, right? So I think I think that, that still um, resonates in some way. Um, it's also not, like, a super hard thing to understand, right? Like, um, mm. but I get your point. I get your point. Uh, huh. Interesting, but interesting point. Um I don't know. Is there is there anything else in particular to talk about uh, the the movie about Walk Hard? Because I, I like I don't know. I, I feel like we we could break down like particular jokes, but I don't know if that's particularly helpful. Should we over explain all of the jokes to to our loyal listeners at home? Listeners, the reason that the joke is funny when Dewey Cox turns to a penis and says, "Do you want any coffee?" and the, and the, and the penis goes, "No." is because it's a penis is there on screen actually i think that's reverse i think the the penis asks him if he wants any coffee well it's not, and he says no it's the owner of the penis presumably the owner of the penis but the penis is what's in frame and he turns yeah. and looks at it like he makes eye contact with it and that's true though it does make it sound like it's like an animated you know like so i mean if, if we really do want to go down this this hole though right like if you notice right like they show like the women initially, right? And then they show the guy's butt and it's only after a couple of seconds, right? Like this is like on the third time that he shows up that they actually put put the dick in frame, which I think is supposed to be its own kind of thing, right? Like that is like, it's like a bait and switch almost. Maybe that's the wrong term, but like there, there is something there, I think, right? That's a little bit deeper than, you know, it's just a dick in frame. Um, 
because they do like tease it, I guess, um, before uh, uh, b- b- before they reveal it, which uh, pun definitely intended. Um, yeah, yeah. Is there is there like so? Like I said, I, like I said earlier, I think this this movie kind of thrives on it, like the the jokes being like over the top. Is there anything particularly subtle that like that that uh? Uh, stuck out to you? That's a good question that I don't know I have a great answer to. Um, there are some pieces of filmmaking that I thought were actually, like, fairly clever. Um, like, the way certain shots will be will be framed, I think, are actually, like, pretty funny. Which is not quite on the same level as, like, I think Edgar Wright does this really well, where he will just frame shots in such a way that they are inherently funny. Um, you know, like, in Hot Fuzz, the cake coming in just on the, you know, one side of the screen. Like, that's just funny. And it's not funny because of anything. Like, I can't explain it to you, just that cake suddenly entering the frame is just like a funny image sort of uh, sort of thing, and there is some some of that kind of stuff in uh, in this, like the way the the, the way pa, the Paw Cox pulls out the machete and he swings it, and it slows down as like Dewey just like walks out of the way because it's not hard to dodge it or whatever, um, and then it cuts to a close up in slow motion of like. Paw Cox's face, as you can tell that he's cutting off his own torso and he's about to do the, like, the you cut me in half thing. Um, like, I just think that, that that stuff is just, like, inherently funny and help makes the jokes even better. Even though it's obviously, like, practical to hide that they're not actually cutting him in half sort of thing. Right. Yeah. No, I, 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 I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, no, everything, like, like, Everything is just is just so upfront, right? Like, like the the one that comes to mind is like I I did loving kind of like the as they're playing the last song, like they they show him walk into a bathroom and he pulls like ten sinks off the wall to kind of echo the the same thing. But that's like it's not like that they were hiding that at all or like it was subtle at all. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe the fact that they like for all like the the famous artists, they make sure to like drop name drop the artists. Right, like to like make it very clear who they're supposed to be, even though it's very obvious. I, is I guess it's supposed to be a thing, right? Like they, he calls Frankie Muniz Buddy Holly like four times, and then uh, and he, like, they call the Beatles call themselves the Beatles like three times, which I guess is like I like I think like again it's not subtle, but yeah, no, it's just like there's like no subtlety in the movie, um, like at all. <laughs> Yeah, I think honestly one of the one of the saddest things about Walk Hard is how much it just like completely owns this whole genre and that we are still getting movies made in it and that they are still successful like Bohemian Rhapsody, the uh the Freddie Mercury story was the biggest biopic of all time, right? Like it was a super successful it was a super successful movie and we're just like how 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 does anybody make a movie after like this movie came out and so thoroughly like skewered the genre and i guess you know like maybe that's like an impossible sort of uh you know i don't know an impossible sort of thing to accomplish especially when your movie like flops like i do think that there's a reason that austin powers comes out and is huge for at least his first two movies right um and is huge 
and the next James Bond, right, after kind of, like, Austin Powers, right? Like, people make fun of Die Another Day really bad because, like, it's goofy or whatever. Um, and that they re they kind of, like, reinvent James Bond with, like, the dark, gritty Batman Begins Casino Royale sort of, uh, sort of version of it. Yeah, I mean... But the thing is, that's the thing is that's a reinvention, right? No, they didn't even reinvent fucking Freddie. It's just a straight up music biopic. If I watch Bohemian Rhapsody back to back with Ray, it's just like the same shit. Right. But so maybe the answer is, is was there like I can't think of any particularly high profile musical biopics like in the interim. Maybe it's just like well, we better lay low for ten years before we make Walk Hard or not Walk Hard before we make uh. Uh, 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 Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, maybe because there were definitely a lot of other music biopics, but they came out and so they kind of like came and went without much fanfare. Like Get Out of Compton or Straight Out of Compton, Compton, rather. And Straight Out of Compton was I, also big. That but, was 2016. But I think it also like bucks some of that, right? Like I, I like I think Straight Out of Compton is a different film than most of the other ones. That's um, true. Uh, yeah. Um. The, but like I'm thinking about stuff like Notorious, uh, All Eyes on Me also came out in that period, but not to, like not very successfully. The James Brown one with Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace, is uh, also from that period, but also nobody saw that movie. So maybe they, there was a real effect of this, and people just kept making the movies, and like the statute of limitations was 10 years and in 2018 bohemian rhapsody just like killed it yeah maybe and rocket man it's also in that and rocket man yeah which is i mean bohemian rhapsody i think is bad rocket man i think is truly good uh just because rocket man is a musical uh what was it so there was that bruce springsteen it wasn't a bio it wasn't like a biopic but it was about like a fan um an indian fan or pakistani fan um isn't that one did you see that i did I thought it was okay. Um, okay. Um, I didn't think it was great. Um, but I think it, did, it does kind of follow, like, the the formula, right? It's just, like, it's the biopic, but it's just, like, without the guy playing music. He's just listening to Bruce Springsteen on his tape recorder, which is kind Yeah, of... I mean, I guess there were two of those because there was also Yesterday, which was oh, very yeah. – There are some – actually, okay, now that Same I think about year. it, there are more because there's also Hesher, which is a movie – is the Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie – but where the main character like listens to a lot of Metallica, and so like the song is the movie is essentially about somebody listening to a lot of Metallica. So maybe there's like a subgenre here of like movies about people who listen to famous songs, like artists a lot, and like most of the soundtrack is that famous artist. Yeah. Oh, you know what? That's that's what we're missing. It's across the universe. Oh, uh, well, across the universe. That's a, That's another version, but I feel like it's also weird and different because that is like, first of all, it's a true. Mu- it's like a true musical. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and also, it's not a biopic, but it like it features a lot of people who are supposed to be people in a way. Like there is the Jimi Hendrix stand-in, the Janis Joplin stand-in. There's a bunch of them because it's like music in the in the fucking sixties, but it's all set to be as music. I love Across the Universe. Actually, I think Across the Universe is like legitimately amazing. Um, and probably one of the best musicals that's come out in like recent history. Yeah, we we don't we don't get a ton of them. Before. I I'm, I am historically a big fan of musicals, but like the biggest musicals are like the Disney films, right? Like, um, yeah, you know. What, I mean, yeah, we, we got La La like, Land, right? But like, yeah, La La Land definitely counts. Let me, <laughs> let, let's think musicals, recent musicals. 
Moulin Rouge is not a recent musical. Wow. Swing Time is not a recent musical. See, a lot of these actually, now that I'm looking at them, th so there are a bunch, um, but a lot of these are adaptations of stage plays. This is one of the things that I think is great about Across the Universe and what makes it like really transcendent in my eyes um, is that it is a musical that is not an adaptation of a stage play, right? Or of like a, of a, of a stage musical. Um, and it is truly and definitively built for film. Right. Whereas I think a lot of other musicals are fundamentally not built for film. Um, for instance, you know, the the like the Les Mises of the world. Right. Or, you um, know, the... or even like Hamilton, like if they were to do a film version of Hamilton, I think it would probably be pretty shitty because you know, part of what makes that film or that musical work is that it is not like a literal sort of incarnation of itself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's 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 cats, I guess. Yep, there is. You know, listen, there's always cats. Um, Rachel just laughed when I said that there's always cats. Uh, and there's there's also some more stuff coming out. Like, I think there's actually, and this one I am sort of actually excited for, there is a Leonard Bernstein biopic, which I think is coming out, that is itself a musical, uh, which I think is just, like, intensely interesting. And they, they have the guy from La La Land, like, making it or whatever which I just think is, like, an intensely interesting pitch. Like, if somebody were to pitch me on that. Oh, Mamma Mia! How did I miss this? Ma the Mamma Mia musicals, which I watched both of, by the way, over the course of over the course of the last week. Um, we watched a... Uh, uh, so, we were, uh, so we were all playing WoW, right? But something that I did is I opened up my second screen, I started sharing a YouTube video, and we were watching... Uh, the Patrick H. We were watching Patrick H. Willems' channel, which I've talked about a little bit. Like, I think it's great right now. And one of his episodes was, Is Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, the best sequel of all time? Evaluating the standard of what sequel improves upon its source material the most, right? And he was like, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again is actually, like, really, really good. Um, and the first Mamma Mia kind of sucks, so actually it's a huge improvement to sort of like move between them or whatever. And so we watched that episode of Patrick Gates Willis show and then everybody was like, well, I guess we gotta, you know, I guess we just gotta watch, uh, Mamma Mia. And then we did a back to back screening of Mamma Mia and Mamma Mia. Here we go again. Have you, have you watched, uh, the greatest showman? Uh, I have watched the greatest showman and that musical was also weird. I have weird thoughts i don't know what i think about it in a in a real sense yeah. i just remember watching it and just kind of being like ah, what the fuck so it's, it's it's not only is it weird but it also kind of like like if you want to talk about a kind of uh i don't want to say whitewashing because barnum was white but like kind of like like you know cleaning up history apparently Barnum was like a bastard in, in real oh, life yeah and like yeah oh, absolutely and the way that the, it sort of like sidesteps the whole like honestly kind of gross aspect of like uh if you th so like if you think about like freak shows and like sideshow carnival sort of like uh things like that's something that sort of underwrites a lot of like circus history and it's absolutely there with the barnum stuff and they just move they just move right along yeah I'm just move right on past it they're like oh isn't it nice that like we gave the bearded lady a place to hang out isn't that cool? Yeah, like, I'm, I think there is something to be said, though, there, right? Like, I, I think you're ultimately right that, that like, the it, – it's, like, a terrible time for those people. But it's not, like – like, 
the circus is at least a step up for them for people who wouldn't otherwise be given dignity, right? Like, yes, it's not great to be a circus freak sideshow, but it's better to be a circus freak sideshow than like just a freak, I guess, if that makes sense. Does, does, does that resonate, right? Like, um, yeah. I mean, the, and the other weird thing about The Greatest Showman is that that movie was huge, right? It made a billion dollars, right? Um, which I think is interesting. <laughs> I guess that's what I'll say. Well, I think like the, I don't think Cats gets made with a hundred million dollar budget without Greatest Showman like pumping the numbers. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is that the music's good, right? Like, like I love the Greatest Showman main song, right? Like, uh, uh, like I I have it on uh, somewhere on like Beat Saber, and I love do it like that song, like just to, to like do the, the, the beat saber stuff to it, which is a custom song. But like, that's like, yeah. I also just legitimately think Hugh Jackman and, uh, Zac Efron are the, like legitimate show stopping talent when it comes to stuff. Like, and they just kill it. Uh, so it's sort of like you could put a bad musical in front of like Gene Kelly and he would kill it. It's the same sort of thing, you know, like, <laughs> Okay, so now I have to ask you about the most relevant musical for us. Have you seen Jersey Boys? Uh, I have not seen Jersey Boys. Isn't that a Clint Eastwood movie? Uh, I think he made that. Did he? Uh, uh, I might be wrong about this, but I, I vaguely remember thinking, like, Clint Eastwood directing I was going to say, it's uh, John Lewis. Now, it looks like I'm wrong. I don't, okay. see, I don't see it in his... Uh... Oh, wait, no, that's actually actor. Let's look for director. Oh my god, I'm right. He directed Jersey Boys. The same year, he directed American Sniper. Go you. Wow. Um I so I actually I actually saw it on Broadway. Um we took my mom there for Christmas one year, um which was uh a uh which was a which was a, a, a fun event. But uh you know, it's it's uh you know, that I can't help but think about that cuz you know, that's we're, we're Jersey Boys, right? Like do, do, like I grew up listening to Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. Um, oh, see, I don't have that same sort of. Uh, I, th- I think probably because I like I moved around a lot as a kid or whatever, and like not so much, but like when like I have a weird connection to odd music from all over the place just because uh, of like moving to Japan and back, right? Like Pittsburgh, that kind of yeah, thing. yeah. Also, you know, that's like a lot of this is like shaped by your parents, right? Like. Besides, like, yeah. like my mom played Frankie Valli in the car, but she also played The Cars and uh, Savage Garden, which is like a weird set of songs to have grown up on. But like, oh, and Bruce, of course. But yeah, you know. my dad was a huge. My dad was a big uh, uh, Grateful Dead guy. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, uh, why, why does that make sense? I mean, I guess oh, he's from upstate New York, which is well, I mean, like it, known for that a little bit. But I, sorry, it makes sense in that, like, that's a thing that some people's parents are into, right? Like, I had a, oh, yeah, 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 like, like a, another what, like one of my brother's childhood friends, his dad was like a big parrot head, and uh, <laughs> so you, like, what's uh, a parrot head? Uh, Jimmy Buffett fan. Oh, what? They're called parrot heads? I believe so. Yeah. Like, wow. Okay, I did not know that term, but fair enough. Um. I do know I do know Jimmy Buffett people though, like with like Margaritaville, like yeah. you know, washed out beach signs all over their like suburban New Jersey house. Absolutely know those people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's like uh, it's like the anthem of the midlife crisis, right? Like, <laughs> uh. yeah, no. So my that's another like weird thing because I feel like my so my dad's like a big Grateful Dead guy, but he's also do you know Doctor John? No, I do not. You might know it if you, like, heard him, but he is, like, a little bit, like, more obscure. But then, like, my mom was really big into, like, 
Pearl Jam. So, like, I have those, like, you know those 90s songs that we all make fun of? Because they were all sung like, burr, 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 like that, that sound. Oh, yeah, like, um, oh, who am I thinking the of? The Eddie Vedder oh. sound, but, like, also Hootie the Blowfish and also a million other bands from that era. <laughs> I have, like, all of those songs, like, implicitly memorized from, like, in the car when we were driving to the pool in the summer of 1994 or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, there's um, there's like a another guy like that. It's heard it through the grapevine, uh, McDonald maybe. Who am I thinking of? Uh, Johnny Johnny McDonald? No, no, I know exactly. I know exactly who you mean. Um, Fuck, because Malcolm- because Marvin Gaye sings it, but it or but it, I, th- I think it's like one of those songs that was written by somebody else, um, and that just got covered a bunch through the year, uh, through the years, um. Who am I thinking of? It's it's some God no, I know exactly who you're thinking of. This is gonna drive me fucking insane. I know exactly who you're thinking of specifically because there is a bit in um there's a bit in American Dad that makes fun of this guy. Oh, I wanna die. I know exactly who you're talking about. Is it Michael okay. McDonald? I think it is Michael McDonald, but uh See, it's, 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 it's not hitting me in, in the way that, like, I, I would expect it to. Uh, yeah, it is Michael McDonald that I'm okay. thinking of. Because I'm thinking of the song, Yamo Be There. Do you know that song? Yamo Be There. No. That's I've... a Michael McDonald song. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah. Because, like, that's, that's, that's another song where I think my mom used to play in the car. But, yeah, no, I, 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 I totally get what you're, what, you're, what you're talking about, though. Man, music. A lot of music. Right? That's what you came here for this cast for. What have you been, what have you been playing? Tell me all about your week. <laughs> uh, so this week I played some Hades. I played some CK3. Played uh, the Star Wars uh, TTRPG, which you didn't show up for, you nerd. Um, uh, but uh, I can go into any of those. Um, uh, the uh, Hades is good. CK3 is good. I don't know if I've got any deeper thoughts about them anymore. Um, yeah, what was it? so you played a big game with CK3, right? It wasn't super huge, but we played. It was me and friends of the cast, X, Nick, and Rohan, and we played okay. uh, Africa. Um, we just like picked nations in Africa, and we all like got ourselves to king status before we before we quit. Uh, we didn't get super uh-huh. far into it, but you know, it's it's uh, it's interesting because like we started at the early bookmark, and uh, uh, that area is a bit more separated right like um in terms of like the kingdoms are all still like in, like there's a bunch of independent realms besides like nigeria which is the big one um mm-hmm. unlike say like like even even at the early bookmark the like middle uh the middle europe is like still like some form of france and some form of uh like pre-hre um but like that whole coast in in africa is is totally totally separated out um all independent kingdoms, which is cool. Um, uh, and so it was, it's interesting to play because, um, you know, it's still uh, like, there's just like, uh, like the, the game is very different than CK2, right? Because CK2, a big part of it was either playing as a feudal dynasty or like getting yourself to a feudal state. That way you can in- implement primogeniture and not worry about like losing everything <laughs> um, the moment you died. Um, which is an inter- like it, it, it makes the game interesting. I have heard from people on the different subreddits uh, that uh, 
um, that it's easy to get around if you like play your cards right with uh, uh, with with like disinheriting and stuff. But uh, that's uh, uh, that's neither here nor there. It's, it's still just like it's, it's interesting to play as these different factions because they they all play just like a slightly bit differently. And I do like kind of I, I want to reiterate that I really like the um, the the fact that the leaders all play like differently, right? Like. My character happened to be good at intrigue, so I expect him to like murdery stuff, and I uh, killed a bunch of people, which is you know, fun. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's it's been a, a a ton of fun, but I don't know if I have anything deeper to talk about there. Uh, what about you? What have you been up to this week? So last week, uh, as I as I had talked about previously, the World of Warcraft World of Warcraft shadowlands pre-patch dropped right so basically the way this works if you're like unfamiliar is that um there is the expansion for for wow and there is the pre-patch the pre-patch tends to bundle all of like the lower level systemic things right so if they're changing the way that like established systems are working those changes come do sort of in the pre-patch right uh whereas like the new systems um the new content obviously the new raids the new appearances the new questing zones all that stuff that comes out with the true expansion launch which is you know like later down the line right um the pre-patch brought a pretty substantial change to world of warcraft that has had me absolutely i mean listen i've been like really on the wow train for like months now i don't really know how to get off of it maybe one day i will come to this cast and talk about playing a different game between weeks but the only thing i've ever been doing i feel like for the last like three months is just like wow 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 wow. but so the thing that they changed is the way leveling works right so they squished the levels the um it is now level one through 60 rather than one to 120 um and the the levels now each give you something right so let's say i'm playing warrior um every level i'm either going to get an ability or i'm going to get a talent or one of my abilities is going to change right so uh if you remember like you know obviously you played a certain amount of vanilla right um yeah do you remember playing uh where you would get like different ranks of abilities like you would get slam rank one slam oh, yeah, rank yeah, yeah. two yeah okay and so you could spread them out they've among sort the of trees. done a similar thing but what they do is they have different functionality for your core abilities right um so for instance uh execute rank one has a cooldown and execute rank two removes the cooldown sort of thing right so on on one as you progress every time you ding you're just going to get one thing either it's a new ability sometimes it's a utility ability sometimes you're going to get an extra like oh this thing oh that thing or whatever and it just like it makes the process of playing the expansion or like leveling alts just insanely gratifying um because every time you ding you have that thing to look forward to and so you're getting those you're getting those dopamine hits um i would also say that they have reduced the time to level pretty significantly um i brought a character from 1 to 120 no i'm sorry from 10 to 60 uh in about like 12 hours of game time or something kind of along those lines um which just seems much, much shorter than what it used to be. Uh, which I think is kind of an acknowledgement that, like, at the end of the day, WoW is no longer a game about, like, leveling. It's a game about endgame. And that, like, you sort of have a 12-hour tutorial to teach you your class before you get into sort of striking posi- position for raiding and Mythic Plus and all these other sorts of systems, right, that um, 
that they like the game has. Um, yeah. I, so, it's, you it's know, actually, I, I don't know. I was just going to say, like, I, I think that, like, I, I was thinking about this recently because um, uh, a different podcast I listened to, Castle Super Beast, uh, one of the one of the guys plays 14 and the other guy is big into fighting games. And the, the fighting games guy just doesn't understand, like, how to play, like, how to get into MMORPGs. And the, the thing I was thinking of is, like, leveling in an MMORPG is basically being in the lab um, for, like, like, in fighting games, right, so that you can know what you're doing when you hit the raid, right? Like, does, does that make sense? I, I think that's... Um, no, that and, and it's funny because like I've actually been in a weird position where I'm actually introducing some folks to WoW who have never played it, which seems crazy to me, right? Like that there are people out there who've never played the game, but there are, right? And um, and it's interesting because I know people who would get into the systems at like max level, but you sort of have to kind of like talk them through it in a way where you have to go like no 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 like listen like you gotta you you play through the early stuff to get a handle on your character right um but then what really makes the game fun is like running mythic plus right or like running raids or whatever else sort of thing um which is just like a very weird way to pitch a game in a way uh like if i were to pitch you like league of legends sort of thing uh i feel like you have just so much access to that game right up front compared to something like wow where it's like you, you know, like telling someone that they have to play 12 hours before they can do the fun activity is kind of like doing that thing where it's like, oh, yeah, like the first two seasons suck, but you got to watch them to like understand. And then season three is where it gets good. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. So that, that's really interesting because that is like very much like a fighting game, right? Like if you really want to play the game seriously, you need to go into training mode and lab it up and figure out how your character works before you can like seriously compete on the ladder anywhere. Um that's that's like a really because because you know I, I think you're absolutely right right like you can't get to like the the really compelling stuff until you until you know your character um, and I think I think in 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 WoW like the the floor is higher and the ceiling is lower the floor is higher because you're playing on a team right like you can't play like in fighting games if you go in and you're bad it doesn't matter because you're only failing yourself um, but like you also don't have like like I know super high end rating is a thing, but a lot of that's also dependent on gear score, which is not a thing in fighting games. It's kind of like antithetical to, to fighting games. Oh um, yeah, no, absolutely. Like this is this is. I made this point a while ago, right? Like one of the things that makes WoW a good game, as far as I'm concerned, is that it doesn't just reward like skill, right? Like that WoW is also a game of dedication, and that if you are a bad player who is dedicated to the game, you're just guaranteed a certain amount of power, basically, right? right? Like the game will give you. Uh, you know, if you put the time in, you will get good gear, right? Um, and the best gear is going to be locked off from you because you're a bad player. You, you, you like, you can't perform sort of or whatever else. But if you are in the opposite case, right? If you are just like the most proficient player in the world, well, that kind of doesn't mean anything, right? What really matters is that you show up and that you put the time in. Um, and, and I think that that's just like interesting and, and like, a bunch of people are probably listening to this like, wow, that sounds like bullshit. You know what I mean? You have a bunch of like shitty players who like are getting free gear and all of the good players have to like grind or whatever. Uh, but I actually think that kind of like mixing those two approaches is just pretty gratifying. Um, well, it's, it's, it's different strokes for different folks, right? Like I understand yeah, like yeah, wanting yeah. it to be purely skill-based. I think that, that there's there's the, a place for that, right? I also think there's a place for wanting to to be able to just grind to proficiency, right? Where it's just about time rather than about skill. I think that that's perfectly fine too. You just got to know that that's what you're getting into. I also think that WoW creates it has an, has enough of a sort of like difficulty ladder that like you know I mean it's funny because I will comment I will like talk in in 
threads on like reddit or whatever um about like the way that the game works and because i'm just a heroic raider right like i'm just a person who is putting in the time to get ahead of the curve and be able to raid proficiently at a heroic level that makes me casual right <laughs> because like well the real game is mythic raiding and if you're not like doing doing like mythic raiding then you don't actually like know the game and i think that that's you know i don't know a uh uh I guess I would just say a funny coincidence uh, of, of like, perspective, right? Where, where, you know, if I'm talking to someone who's never played the game before, the fact that I have some of these, like, ahead of the curve or whatever all sort of achievements actually, like, puts me way ahead in terms of their understanding of the game. Uh, but then in other spaces, that disqualifies me from having an opinion. So, so this is really funny because this also has a fighting games equivalent. Are you familiar with the term Basement King? No. So the term Basement King is the guy who is, like, the best of your friend group, so he thinks he's not shit, but he's actually, like, not good enough to, like, compete at, like... like um, this was a lot more common oh before the edge of the internet. I, I understand that. So it's, like, Big, Smish, or big Fish, Small Pond. Yeah, something. yeah, right? Like, the guy who was the best in your group at Smash, but, like, if you ever went to a tournament, he gets shit pushed in because he's, like, not that good. Right, like oh, I get that. I get that so much. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's funny too because, like, I know, I know, in like my experience, um, uh, so people still play a lot of locals because, um, I mean, not right now because of the COVID, um, but like internet netcode is like I, I've talked about this before. Like, there's delay maintenance code versus rollback, and like netcode has never been a strong point for, um, for. for for these games and like it's super important because like you know wow can deal with a little bit of lag a fighting a pvp fighting game really can't um uh, uh so i had uh sorry I, I lost my train of thought for a second there um but like um so in my, in my experience right like i wasn't quite a basement king like we had some people that were that were good that we played with um uh so like you know it was there was there was at least some stuff there but like this happened a lot with street fighter right like uh I played – I used to play a bunch of college with friend of the cast, Akshay, um, and he was pretty decent. But, like, it's not – like, I can't hand a controller to a rando and have them play because they don't know – like, you need to – this is, like, like a very early cliff where, like, you will get your shit pushed in if you don't know anything about the game, right? And so, like, you know, like, that's one of the advantages, I think, of Smash Brothers. Is like, you can pick up the controller and at least be, like, semi-competent, whereas, like, you know, not knowing all the moves of your character in Street Fighter is a pretty heinous disadvantage, um, yeah, but yeah, um, yeah. This is, that, that's just the comparison point I wanted. I, I wanted to bring, but very interesting, very very cool. Um, yeah, one... so I've just been fucking leveling the shit out of these characters in uh, leveling the shit out of these characters in WoW. Uh, like I brought a rogue all the way to max level. I have two other characters that have both hit level thirty. I one of the things I actually like a lot about the leveling is that it does get pretty hard as it goes on. I was really getting my shit kicked in by like the mobs um, as I was getting to like level thirty ish. And like obviously like I'm a good player and I know how to like put together builds and I understand like um you know like what makes sort of uh like what what like the basics of like my rotation would be but i like kind of legitimately think that like if you're a bad player of the game and you get to like level 40 right you might actually have a legitimately hard time progressing in a lot of places because like i i was having to do stuff like pop cooldowns and know when to use my defensives and it was almost a little bit like classic where if i was pulling two mobs at the same time i might die 
and I might need to nope out of there sort of thing. Um, but the other thing that they did that was really cool is they made it so that all of the leveling experiences were parallel. They call this chromie time. I've talked about this before. Where you can play through any single expansion, right? And if you play through that expansion's kind of content, quote-unquote, you will get to max level. So, for instance... Um, <clears throat> With Suraj, my rogue, I leveled him entirely in Pandaria, where we, we, he walked into Pandaria. I did one, two, three, four zones in Pandaria, um, and a, four of the six total zones in Pandaria, um, and that got him all the way to... Uh, they got him all the way to max level. You can also level in max level activities, which is another cool thing that I really like about the game. Uh, so, for instance, Legion had all of this max level questing, right? Because you had your order hall campaign or whatever. Well, that stuff actually unlocks before you hit level 50. Um, and you can level on Argus. You can level on the Broken Shore, which are these max level areas, um, rather than... Uh, you know, purely leveling through, like, the, the content that was designed to be leveled through. So if you want to do Suramar, so for instance, the whole zone of Suramar is designed for you to only engage with it at level 120. Um, or at the time, it was level 10, 110, now it's, like, level 50, whatever. You can now actually enter that a little bit before you hit, like, max, which is pretty, which is pretty fucking nice. Yeah, no, it sounds, it, 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 that sounds, it sounds like a really cool system. Um, I don't know. I can't. I, I don't think I can go back to WoW because I think it, it will just like suck out my entire life. So. Oh yeah. I also feel like you're deep in fourteen. Uh, like I'm not like, actually. I, I kind of quit fourteen again. Um, oh, did you? Oh, okay. Never mind. I was assuming that you were still playing fourteen. <laughs> um, I mean, it. I just kind of like hit. I always hit these balls with the most, but it's like I'm not having that much fun with the actual mechanics. Um, I think that like I think like. So this this is a hard thing for me because I think that the mechanics of the gunner uh, or the machinist, which is what I was playing in 14, just aren't super appealing to me right now. Because um, for whatever, like like I, I like the kind of like the the firearm aesthetic, but I don't particularly like the way that it plays. If that makes sense, because um, like a lot of a lot of gunner classes are like pet classes or like semi pet classes, which is not a thing I super like, and the rotation just isn't isn't really binding with me. Um, Plus, you know, uh, Cyberpunk's coming out soon, and that's that's what I'm saving all of my kind of like hype bucks for. If that. Oh yeah, that definitely does make sense. I get that 100. percent Yeah, no, fair enough. I I absolutely understand uh, sort of like that wall. I feel that it happens with solo when when play, players are playing solo. The thing that binds players to MMOs in long terms are groups, right? Like yeah. group content. Um, like I was basically not playing WoW until I decided to like get hard into M plus, and that was sort of like the beginning of this like very hardcore WoW phase that like I'm currently immersed in, um, because we're just getting together and playing the game together just like all the time. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I I, I totally get that too. I just, I know that like when I was playing WoW that like. I was having a lot of fun when we were doing group content. I just, you know, you have to get there at some point, right? And that takes time, and that's always yeah. kind of a, a Yeah, I also do wonder if it's, like, a rotation thing. Like, one of the things that I've always found interesting is, like, what makes a good rotation and a bad rotation? Because I do think I could actually maybe verbalize what rotations I think are not good and what rotations I think are interesting. So, for instance, I really like... The I like Arms Warrior. I like uh, Survival Hunter is one that came out that I'm just like, oh, this rotation is really cool. Um, 
I like uh, Assassination Rogue has been a lot of fun. Affliction Warlock has been a lot of fun. But then I'll also play other rotations and I'll just be like, ah, this is just like not doing it for me. But I don't know that I have really great language to describe what about those individual rotations I resonate with and what about them I like just aren't I'm, I'm just not connecting with do you know what i mean yeah i think it also varies person to person right like i think part of it too is that like some people don't want to have to like you know push themselves like i really liked windwalker monk when i was playing because it's like you, you're hitting buttons a lot like you just you just hit a lot of buttons and you know there's a, like it's not like a straight rotation right like it's a it's it's uh i mean the the people who who talk about it describe it as priority based right you do it as things come up but it's not like strict timing and so i think like that variety really does it for me and you're kind of like always like hitting buttons and it always feels like you know you're just on the edge of like totally losing your hands and like you know and you know dropping it and if you drop it then you lose dps but like that's like a a, a thing that feels good to do at least to me um and i, I know that's why that's why windwalker appealed to me i don't know if that like i didn't play a lot of other classes like i played i played rogue for a bit on an alt but like um and that like similarly had kind of like build up the points kind of mechanics and like you spend them and so it didn't feel like super super repetitive um, but Monk always felt kind of almost like a rhythm action game to me, um, yeah. which I which no, yeah, super I get compelling. that for sure. Like one of the, like I, one of the things I like about Arms Warrior is that it is specifically built for not filling every global cooldown. Right, um, that there are times when you're sitting and you're waiting on raids, and I think that like honestly, that in itself is an interesting design kind of like problem. How do you design a spec that is not built? to fill every global cooldown because most specs are right. Like most specs you have your priority buttons and then all else fails. You use your filler or whatever, but with arms warrior, if you are low on rage and you have a free GCD, you don't fill that GCD with anything because you spending the rage on slam when mortal strike is coming up in two seconds, right? Is a waste. And you want to save your rage for mortal strike, which hits a lot harder than slam sort of thing. And like that tension, I feel like is like super interesting. I also really like dot classes. I think like both affliction lock, um, and assassination rogue which are like two classes that i'm playing right now uh are dot classes and it just feels good to like build up dots on on like a target if and like keeping those sort of like rolling where it's like okay i gotta reapply my poison i gotta you know like build up combo points to hit another bleed sort of thing like that interaction i also feel like must be uh i don't know just like must be a cool piece of the equation i think i think i agree with that in in 14 when i was playing the archer which uh or the bard i guess which which i enjoyed a bit more than i think the the machinist um like a lot of that was putting up dots and like keeping dots on multiple different creatures i'm waiting for procs on different things so i I definitely feel that um uh and uh so i i I think there's definitely a, a cool aspect of that there um yeah yeah um, only other thing I wanted to mention is I did play the uh, the Black Ops Cold War beta a little bit this weekend. It's a Call of Duty. Um, it plays like Call of Duty. Um, it's a little it's it's uh, a little interesting in that it's um, like certain things work a little bit differently. There's not as much focus on kind of like uh, putting your leaning your gun on things, which is a thing in the last Call of Duty. Um, there's not as much focus on. Uh, or and like this, the 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 kill streaks are all score streaks now, which means like you know you you built like it's not like three kills in a life. It's 
have they, have they settled the skill-based matchmaking question that we have we have not yet delved into? But I mean, I know they, they have settled the question in that there is skill-based matchmaking and people are still mad online about it. But you know, what are you gonna do? Oh wait, I'm sorry. They they are mad that there is skill-based matchmaking. Yes, because people they they, they want to be randomly dropped. Oh, they in want with, a pub stomp. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. They want to be randomly dropped in with baddies, um, and 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 stomp all over people, which I guess I get, but like. Um, I don't like. I don't understand. Like, like, I don't understand how people get mad about it and like are mad about it with kind of righteous indignation, right? Like, I would honestly respect them more if they were like, "Look, I get it. I get that the skill based match. Like, if they were like, you know, I just want to stomp on people, right? And we're kind of honest, but if they 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 act like they're like they have the the right of it, and I just don't get it um, at all. But whatever. Those people are weird. Okay, yeah. yeah. I, I've heard the I've heard the like content creators don't like spill, skill based matchmaking because they get the most views when they're pub stomping. Yeah, okay, um, that makes sense to me. Which, to be honest, I was a little like, "Wow, that is true." In a way, um, like I feel like when I'm engaging with people who are doing like gaming content, I'm responding to pub stomps more than like so. For instance, like a Trinimortal video or whatever. Um, or even like Trump, you know, like Trump Hearthstone videos. Uh, I respond to sort of like the pub stomps more than I respond to like the fair of fair games kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, part, part of it too is that like I feel like you could be like more interactive in a a, a, a pub stomp, right? Because you don't have to focus as much on the game. Um, also, like, you know, you uh, uh, there are certain people you're watching. Like, it, I think it depends on the person, right? Like you're watching – certain people for the skill and certain people for the personality. I think that makes pub stomps more important for the skill people, but you know, who knows? Yep. Uh, all right. But we are almost, we are basically at the end of our time now. Uh, did you have anything else you want to talk about before we got out of here? Nope. All right. Well, in that case, if you'd like to tell us what you thought about walk hard or any of the other things you talked about in this podcast, you can email us at surdosplaygames.gmail.com or podcast.surdosplaygames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash surdosplaygames. I will make sure that the stream is ready for next week. We tried to do it this week and the, my OBS was failing me. So that's on me. Um, uh, rate and review us on iTunes. Give to us on Patreon if you'd like. Um, that's everything I had. But do you have anything else you want to promote? Yes, I have two things that I want to promote. Uh, number one, I will be streaming. So the two streams coming from me, both professional. Um, on Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Uh, Eastern, I will be streaming as part of Indicate. Uh this is a very cool stream where I'll be showing off some new stuff for one of our old games, and I'm super excited to talk to you about it. And then also, Buddy Gets Good is returning uh, with a very special episode, which is not going to teach you about, like, drugs or saying no to alcohol or something like that, uh, but is going to be showing off, honestly, something that I think folks in game design don't show off more. Uh, so that will be Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m., eastern uh so yeah that's it those are the two streams highly highly recommend tuning in for both yeah all right well definitely check that out um uh if that's it i'm gonna say uh, until next time dear listeners until next time loyal listeners <laughs>